I avoided acting for about a decade or two. I mean, literally avoided it. Knew it was like the thing, but I avoided it. And so it was interesting. I tell people that music, even though it's an artistic pursuit and I love it, it was the hiding place for me for the one thing that really meant the most to me, and that is acting. ADHD Rewired, episode 197. This is the show designed for those of us with really good intentions, but a slightly wandering attention. My name is Eric Tivers. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, coach, and speaker. The website is ADHDrewired.com. We know that starting is the hardest part, so let's get started. But first, let me tell you about this. I want to thank all of our patrons, including our newest patrons, Alex Anderson, Denise, and Juliet Tang. If we get up to 50 patrons, that's only 10 more before the new year, I will do a special live stream event exclusively for you patrons. 10 people is only about a quarter of 1% of everyone listening right now. Help me cover the cost of producing this podcast. Then we're going to grow the coaching group scholarship fund. And then we're going to grow the ADHD rewire team so we can do even more cool stuff in 2018. Wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to wait up to two months to join our Facebook community? Your support can help me bring someone on so they can help. Go to ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. You can give as little as $1 or $2 each month. Our most popular level is the $5 a month level. And there are a number of you who give $10 and $20 a month, and we even have a generous $50 a month supporter. Whatever amount feels right to you is so appreciated by me. Go to ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon to support this show. That's ADHDrewired.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And thanks. Turn good intention into amazing actions with the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group. This virtual video-based group coaching program meets three times a week. Improve your productivity, develop better habits, experience the true power of supportive accountability from members of our own tribe. Learn, grow, and connect. Learn more at ADHDrewired.com. I hope to see you there. That's ADHDrewired.com. And prepare to get your ADHD rewired. Welcome back to another episode of ADHD Rewired. I have today returning to the podcast for the second time is Aaron Anastasi. Aaron is from Southern California. He graduated with a master's degree from Princeton Theological Seminary. I always forget that you went to Princeton. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's some, some high riches there. Um, he's a serial entrepreneur with an online presence such as a superior singing method, which is an online singing program that grosses, wow, really? Seven figures? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, we, we don't see all of that, of course, because we have affiliates and for, for a digital program, they get like 75% of the take, but it is a, it is a, yeah. 
Wow. I don't think I realized it was uh, doing, doing that well. That's, that's, that's awesome. Congratulations. Um, he has the number one singing life lesson channel on YouTube, 20 million organic views and over 250,000 subscribers uh, on a total of three channels. You really are a serial entrepreneur. All right. And uh, along with being an L.A. based actor and filmmaker, Aaron is a prominent success coach. His new book, The Voice of Your Dreams, released in April 2016 and reached Amazon's top 100 bestsellers within the first week of release. And uh, you have a, a brand new book coming out. I do. It is uh, Your Prosperous Mind is what it's called. Your Prosperous Mind. All right. So uh, let's dig in right there. And I think by the time this uh, this is released in the podcast feed, this is already out. So you can go out and get it if you like what you hear today. So, uh, Aaron, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're talking from the future here. The book to us comes out December 12th. To the listeners, it came out December 12th. <laughs> Yes, we are in the future from the past. It still hurts my brain. <laughs> but if you want to go back and listen to our uh, Aaron's first time on the podcast, we had a lot of really good responses to it. It was episode 119. So if you go to ADHDrewired.com slash 119, you could find that. So uh, talk to us about this book that is out now since we're in the future. <laughs> yeah. This one is, I call it your prosperous mind. And I, I think the best way to, to describe it is just like a little tiny blurb I did on the back. So forgive me, I won't be reading much this whole time, but I just, I crafted this. So it says, we all have a prosperous mind, but for many of us, it remains idle. The principles in this book will teach you how to tap into it, develop it, and use it to create unprecedented results, even in the midst of the chaos, insecurity, and uncertainty of everyday life. What does that mean to you? Like, what, what, is, what is that? So this book to me, when I think about, about this book and why I wrote it and what it's about, it's mostly about, I, I have such a vivid memory and, and still dip in and out of this, but have such a vivid memory of being stuck in life and feeling like life is just chaotic and, and all my own insecurities and all this uncertainty to the point to where I couldn't move forward in these key areas of my life that I want to move forward. And, and it's not that I hadn't had any successes. I mean, w when I think back to when I really felt this way, this was like seven, eight, nine years ago. And that was after I'd gone to Princeton. So I actually, I had had some stuff go on, but I, for the couple years after that, I, I felt really stuck. I, there are three particular areas relationally, uh, as far as like my dreams of being like an actor and a filmmaker. And then with businesses, I was living hand to mouth. I wasn't making any money at all. And I, I couldn't seem to unlock, like, how do I, because I wanted to be able to make a strong income so that I could have the freedom to do the things I wanted to do. And I wanted to be generous. Like that was a big value of mine, something I want to do. Also, I was kind of in this, you know, relationship with this girl and it just wasn't, it was kind of stagnant. We were kind of dating. And then I was afraid to move forward because of, you know, all these fears of what marriage would be. And then, you know, with my dreams, I wasn't pursuing acting at all because I was anyway. So the idea is I was feeling stuck, didn't know how to get to the next level in these different areas. And so that's why I wrote this book. Cause what, what broke me out of that when I started working with a coach and just devouring dozens, maybe hundreds of books, I, this book is me taking the things that really actually tangibly practically worked for me. And then went on to work for, you know, dozens and dozens of, of my own clients. I wanted them all to be in a book so that somebody anywhere they want to push forward in their life, 
these are the principles that are here and it doesn't have to be when life's perfect or when you're enlightened or when whatever, all that stuff is obviously just a fantasy and not real anyway. It's in the midst of the chaos and security and uncertainty of everyday life. These principles still work. So you mentioned uh, the the fantasy, um, mm. and that's one of the things that you uh, you talk about in this book. Yeah. Kind of reality checking your what's the stories you're telling yourself? What are these fantasies? And you uh, mm-hmm. and you go into this really um, uh, kind of funny story about one yeah. of your fantasies. Um, as a 13-year-old boy, not that kind of fantasy, um, but more of a story that you're telling yourself. So why don't you share that story? Because I think it's a, uh, sure. it's a good one. Yeah, so so if you can, picture me as a, as a 13-year-old kid, and I, and I was really small. I was like, at 13, I, I don't think I had hit five foot yet, and I was about 86 pounds or something. I was a very, very scrawny, small for my age kid. And so imagine me like throwing my hands up in the air and being like, why don't you say it to my face? You know, just, I was just this really mouthy kid. And the interesting thing about that is the guy hadn't actually said anything about me. So it didn't make sense what I said, but let me just back up and give you a little bit of context. I, I was at Raging Waters, which is a water park in San Dimas, California. And I was walking from one end of the park to the other to go to some ride that we wanted to get to. And all of a sudden I feel this like stinging pain on my back shoulder. And, and I was like, and I looked back and on my shoulder, there was like cinnamon and sugar. I was like, what? And then I looked down on the ground and there's a churro. Like somebody had hurled a churro at me like hard, like it hurt bad. And so I was, you know, my little angsty teenage ego was very hurt. And I looked over in the direction, like where the, you know, sugary missile had come from. And, and there was these teenagers and they were like, I could see their like little shoulders bobbing, like they're laughing. And my, you know, of course, I'm just like, oh, they're laughing at me. So that's when I threw my hands up in the air. I was like, why do you say it to my face? And so uh, I, I, you know, the, the group of teens was about my age, maybe like a year older or something, but they were mostly like little scrawny guys like me. But there was one of them, one guy just kind of emerged from that I didn't see. It was like kind of this muscle-bound Neanderthal guy starts thundering in my direction. Of course, I could feel this bead of sweat like trickling down my face like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? And he came right up to my face and he was actually about a foot taller than me. So kind of my face, but above my face. And we were kind of staring each other down, staring each other down for, I don't know how long, but I was determined to stand my ground, even though this bully was whatever. And so eventually he walked away. And I, I mean, he, I was such a cocky kid. I was like, I was like, that's what I thought as he was walking away. And so I looked over my buddy Ray and he had this like super concerned look on his face and who hadn't helped me at, out at all, by the way, like hadn't done, he's just standing there. Apparently he's no help. And he's like, dude, are you okay? And I was like, what, what are you, t- have you been standing here? What are you talking about? I totally stood up to the bully and he walked away. Like what? Of course I'm okay. He's like, dude, no, that that's not what happened. He, he punched you in the face hard. And you just stood there looking stupid for so long that he eventually just walked away. And of course, right at that time, I could start to, I felt the blood coming out of my nose and the pain was coming back in and feeling. The adrenaline was wearing off and the pain was sitting in. (laughs) The shock was going away. So that story to me is, it's a little bit extreme, but it's, it's an understanding for me of, the fact that sometimes what I think is happening is not actually happening. What I think is reality is some sort of fantasy. And what I came to realize is that I'm living in fantasy in all kinds of different areas of my life. And not just as a 13 year old cocky little skinny kid, 
but today in many areas of my life that I'm not even aware of that I continue to discover. And, and yeah, so that's, that's that. So it comes to this idea of, of cognitive distortions of the reality checking, what, what your real truth is, um, which is not always what we think it is. Yeah. And, and it wouldn't be a big deal if it wasn't so destructive in our lives. So to me, the reason I'm constantly trying to do this is any area that I'm living in a fantasy, it's very difficult, if not impossible to reach my goals in that particular area. And so I want to continue to unearth, unearth these different areas so that I can gain traction and move toward these things with, with some force. So what are the things that you have found um, to really help uh, both yourself and, uh, and people that you work with really move forward? Yeah, I mean, a, a big one is, th- this is kind of the foundation one, like the, the, the fantasy reality thing. That's like, I've got a bunch of principles in the book and, and we can definitely talk about those. This yeah. one would be the, fa- the kind of the first one that I would start with. I was talking to somebody just yesterday, actually, and, and I was at an acting rehearsal and uh, she was telling me what was going on in her life. And she felt like the world was just kind of pressing in on her. And, you know, she, this relationship with this guy was kind of starting up and she just felt like she just felt like he was torturing her. Like but it was all in her mind, of course. But, you know, he just kind of was responding and not responding. And, and she built this whole thing up and really felt like she was being being tortured. And so that that fantasy was it was very real for her as it is for all of us that it was she was hermiting herself into her house and very depressed and you know all the stuff that goes along with that but in reality that that's not what was going on so i what i did is i just walked her through a a series of walked her through a series of reality check questions that are actually some of that is in my first book and some of, um, I have a big breakdown in, in the your prosperous mind of all the types of questions that I do. I help to kind of walk people out of that and through that. And once she started seeing what was really going on, I mean, within 15 minutes, she was a completely different person. So that's kind of the foundation for me that if I can get rid of that thought and see what reality is, then we can start building. Okay. Now, how do you be productive? Hey, let's find out what you want. Let's find out what's blocking you in, you know, it's like, then I can move forward. So Aaron, what were some of the questions that you, uh, that you asked her? Yeah, I start with, I'm wanting to discover what is the most powerful thought. Cause she, people don't think like, for example, when I was, when I was, you know, when I had kind of my big transformational moment that led to a lot of these books and a lot of the zero entrepreneur and all the stuff and the fun marriage that I'm in now, it was, I, my thought was, I don't have what it takes to be a successful actor, entrepreneur, blah, 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 these kind of things. And it's very clear to me now in retrospect, but at the time it just felt like, um, life is hard. Um, I, I don't know why is, why does this always happen to me? I, I don't, it, it was, it's just kind of this nebulous blah. So for her, the first questions I asked was I was trying to narrow down what is a thought that's really bugging you? Because they, they don't know. I don't know. We, we generally don't know. And so I asked a bunch of questions that were exploring that. So she was saying, I was saying, so what is a thought that's bothering you? And, you know, of course, a lot of these smokescreen thoughts of like, 
um, oh, he's, he's mean, he's this, he's that, he's whatever. And so once I got her down to what she thought specifically he was doing, I said, okay, great. So he's doing this. What does that mean about you? Right? Because it's always interpretation. Mm -hmm. We're adding new meanings to, to, to these circumstances. And once she got clear about, oh, okay, what does that mean about me? That means, that means I'm not, I'm not worthy of being cared for. Mm. So once we got, okay, now we got some pay dirt. It takes some, it takes some time to find out what is really connecting with them when they're halfway in tears, you realize, okay, that's now we've got to something that's really connecting at a soul level. Now let's work with that thought. And, and once we have, once we have that thought for me, it's exploring the reality of it. Um, asking if it's true, asking, you know, what are, what are some associated behaviors with that? A lot of it is I have this blend and that this will be in my next book. I have this blend of, um, I love Byron Katie and she's got, she's got a great system called the work that she works with. Who is this? Got, it's Byron Katie. She's, she's got a book called loving what is, and she's got a great process to walk people through. It's like these four questions and a turnaround. So I borrow some of what she does. And then I, I also borrow from this racket structure. That's actually in my first book. And then I borrow from another, another breakdown structure that I use with my clients when they're in breakdown. And I kind of blend those together. I'm actually going to call it the discovery in my new book. And it's a, it's a, it's a way to walk people through this whole thing where they can experience total freedom afterwards and be clear about what their next step is. So bring this to a, a, a very uh, sort of tactical level. Sure. How do you use these kinds of questions to really discover what, what you really, I think as, as a quote, what you had said when we were talking the other day, um, I asked you like, well, why'd you write this, this new book? What's, what's the, yeah. you know, the reader going to get from it? And that you said you wanted to help uh, people discover what they, what's really, really, really holding them back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and this is even, this is a perfect example. It's like what was holding her back in her mind was that this guy was torturing her mentally. But what was really going on as we, as we discovered, I'll just go, go a little deeper into it mm -hmm. is that she, she found, because part of, part of the, the questions that I ask, one of the most important questions I ask is, and it's kind of a counterintuitive question is what, if you're holding on to this thought, let's say we have 60,000 thoughts to go through our mind each day. If you're holding on to this one, and that's thought, just like normal people. Yeah. That's just normal. People. That's <laughs> not even like high achievers, high thinkers, intellectual, like that kind of thing. <laughs> So let's say it's somewhere between 60 and hundred. And, and this thought is like ruling you mm -hmm. what's going, what is the payoff? Like, what are you getting out of holding on to this? Right. Cause I don't think that we do anything unless we're getting something out of it. So mm -hmm. what are you getting out of it? So for her, what was, what she discovered was she realized that it came down to a shame thing that when she, she was getting out of this fact that she could feel bad about herself. And when she feels like she's not worthy or worth being cared for all that stuff, it allows her to take actions that function within that realm, which gives her kind of a sixth sense of freedom to do whatever she wants without any accountability. And I mean, there's, there's so many different, so many different payoffs with shame. It's like you get to, you get to be in isolation to where there's no audience telling you, you know, you should or shouldn't do this. And then, and then uh, you get to, you get to, if anybody does say anything, you get to be like, Hey, I'm already beating myself up. How dare you? You know, there's mm. so many payoffs to being, to being in that. So that's mm. kind of what we discovered for her. And we got, it's, into a, it's a good question though. I think that, that a lot of us can ask ourselves when we 
are sort of in this rut and of a either a thought pattern or behavior really instead of just like saying all right well how do i get myself out of this really looking at it in an objective way how is this serving me right now even if it's not a functional uh way or it's not healthy the way it's it's serving you but really looking at that and say what is this current action or what is this current behavior or thought process what is this doing for me yeah I think yeah. sometimes we don't really, you know, spell it out. And sometimes when I think we do, it becomes a lot more clear on the path that we need to, uh, the, a new path that we need to take. Absolutely. Yeah. And along that train of thought with the payoffs, what am I getting out of this? When we really realize, like you said, what we're getting out of it, it's not even like when I'm with my clients, I'm not like, Hey, I don't want you to think this thought anymore. I just want to present, Hey, here, let's find out why you're thinking this thought and let's see what you're getting out of it. And then I ask them, okay, what is it costing you to hold onto this thought? What is it costing you short-term and long-term? What is it costing the people around you? And then you could just kind of juxtapose those things, give your brain, oh, here's what's really going on behind the scenes, behind the curtain. Now give your brain's, brain a more authentic picture of what's going on in order to make a decision. So I don't, I don't care what decision you make, whatever's serving you, if it's these payoffs from this thought, then keep going. But oftentimes, obviously the payoffs and the cost, you're like, Oh, that's not what I want. I want this. So I want to drop this thought and not, not that it's so easy to drop that thought. I don't even know if it's possible. I'm not, I don't even ask them to do that. It's just the idea of like letting the brain know this is another option. And then the brain kind of has a way I found for myself and my clients of letting that go over the next course of the next couple weeks. Well, and too, it's, it's um, one of the things that I, uh, when I'm working with my clients is understanding, and this is, you know, kind of core cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, yeah. that we can't control those automatic thoughts, that they mm-hmm. are indeed automatic, right? right? So they, but what we can do is we can hit pause hmm. and then they can say, hmm, is there another way that we could think about this? Is, yeah. is there another reality to this? How would somebody else look at this? Can I, can I challenge that thought? Is there, is there evidence that would dispute what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 I love that. And, and actually that's where I go next with my line of questioning too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so take us there. Yeah. So at there I'll try and find another, okay. So this is what you think is true. What else is what's as true as true or more true than that, that is not that, or even the opposite of that. And so that's where we got with her. And it was like, okay, the opposite of that is that I am worth being cared for. And I said, give me some evidences of that. And it was really interesting because she struggled to find one piece of evidence for that. And, and which was really telling, I stopped her right there and I said, just notice, notice that, notice that you can't come up with reasons that you're worth being cared for. Just notice that the headspace you're living in, like this is a challenge for you. And so she, I let her struggle for a little while longer and I said, okay, great. So tell me, give me some reasons that I'm worth being cared for. She was like, Oh, that's easy. And she named off four things like just like that. And I said, so notice how easy it is for you to do it for me and how hard Mm -hmm. it is for you to do for you. And and she noticed that. And I said, and interestingly enough, those four things that you just said about me, I do believe are true about me. But these, it, when I think of you, these are exactly what's true about you. And so, you know, it's just rewiring what's going on and really seeing how much shame plays a part in, 
in the decisions that we make and how much, you know, we, we isolate ourselves. And, and I was asking her, so what is this, when you have this thought, what does it do? She's like, it's a total, it's a total stuck point for me. I don't do anything. I hermit myself. I'm totally unproductive. I, it's like a total stuck place. So imagine this and, you know, we have a hundred different thoughts that we can be doing at the same time. So imagine all of those keeping us stuck. It's just like, no wonder it becomes a challenge to move forward. And that's where I was at, you know, seven, eight years ago that I was talking about, I could not get out of it. And it took, it was a slow process, but once you start doing it, it's like things just start, things just start exploding. It's, it's, it's like magic, which is why I write these books. I'm just like, I want people need to know how to do this so that their lives can get fuller and freer. I know that you talked about this on episode 119, where you spent a good portion of two years, a lot of time, a lot of, 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 uh, uh, energy in creating this, um, online music course, right? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you had, you had this big launch, <laughs> big, big launch, <laughs> and he landed up with a big goose egg. I did. Not even, not even. Oh my gosh! I talk about limiting voices about what's possible, what's not possible. Talk a little yeah, bit about that, that. Yeah, sure. It was, it was a major failure. I, um, and I joke in the book that it's. Uh, I don't even know if it, I can give it the honor of calling it a failure because there were zero sales, like five sales is a failure. Zero sales is, is like a non-starter. So um, I, had, I had spent a couple of years and I had a couple of, of business partners and friends and we'd worked on this thing. It was called the, the singing guide at the time. And it was just, it was just a massive bust. And uh, what I talk about in the, your prosperous mind is that what we didn't do is we didn't, we didn't figure out what the minimum viable product is. We just went like all in for it. And minimum viable product to me really all just comes down to feedback. We didn't get feedback about what people wanted, what was necessary, what would be this or that. And, and we failure ended up being our feedback, which failure is great feedback, but there's some things you can do before that point at times. Failure can be a very instructive teacher, mm-hmm. um, but definitely not warm and fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So as, as you said, I, I, we did that. And then I started getting a lot of feedback, which I love that we're talking about feedback. Let me just connect something and then I'll finish yeah. this thought and stop. But we're talking about feedback right now. We'd, we were talking about fantasy before and the connect between fantasy and getting to reality is feedback. So this is a perfect segue. I'm sure you plan that because you're brilliant. And so what we had done is we got a bunch of feedback for t- the singing guide and then, you know, refilmed it. Re, I, I redid everything. I studied a bunch more for the next year. It took us an, an entire year. We branded it, called it Superior Singing Method. And then that was a, a really big hit. And that was, gosh, literally like eight years ago. And it continues to, you know, almost been a decade. And that thing has just been exploded. So, so grateful that we didn't give up. We kept pushing forward. What was the fantasy you were telling yourself in that that? immediate aftermath of realizing, Oh my gosh, like we haven't sold a single thing here. Yeah. I mean, there were so many, see, I, the reason I could detect the shame in this woman from yesterday is because historically shame is just like one of my favorite rackets. And I say favorite (laughs) because why do I keep choosing it? It must be my favorite. And so at the time, I mean, my, my fantasies and a little caveat here, fantasy could be I think I'm greater than I am and I'm capable of more and fantasy TV. I'm, I think there's much less possible for me than there actually is. And so the, the one with the kid, you know, when I'm 13 years old, it was the I'm great thing. And it wasn't reality. <laughs> this is when the opposite. It was like, I'm not, I don't know enough about singing. 
this will never work for me. People don't like my personality on camera. It was just like a million things of like, this will never work because I'm deficient in all these different areas. And it kept me stuck actually for, uh, for weeks, weeks. I just lived in that and I was ready to give it all up, which can you even imagine? I mean, but fortunately I had the wherewithal and started this training and started understanding a lot of this of how to, how to change your way of being and change your way of thinking and change, you know, these principles. I started working with that and that kind of launched me out of it. You know, and I think for the, for the listener, um, and I talked to so many people who it's, it's sort of that, that sunk cost fallacy of, I spent so much time, you know, doing this thing yeah. that, that clearly isn't working, you know, and I'm miserable doing it, but because yeah. I spent so much time doing this thing means I have to stay doing this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it, it's, it, it's. It saddens me when I when I hear that story, you know, for you know, it's, it's for people with ADHD. I am of the belief that we have to love our work. I mean, it's talk about what's the best accommodation for ADHD, you know, as an adult. And it's loving your work. I mean, uh-huh. that's that's sort of the way I view it. So, you know, you spent two years of your life creating this thing that did not work. And yeah. it, you, you took a shift to you, you reevaluated, you took feedback yeah, and you went after it again. Yeah. And, and I love that you say it's, you know, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more P- people that are stuck in unfocused and especially ADHD. It's if you can lock yourself into something that you're really passionate about, that really inspires you, it's almost, it's not true. It's almost like your ADD disappears, at least when you're involved in that thing, when you're in the zone of that thing, at least it'll come back. I promise. Um, <laughs> but, but get constantly getting into action is often what I find for me is what is what helps them with that. So yeah, for, for me and the loving it, I decided that, no, I love, I love coaching people at that point. I wasn't even like a success coach. I was just, I loved I love teaching people and love the idea of helping people reach their dreams. And I still do that. That's still like right in line with what I love to do at that time. It was just specifically for singing. Now it's like for people's whole life, but, and that's what I came to. I was like, you know what? I, I love doing this. I want to do this. I, I know a lot about singing. I, I, I have a way of teaching that, that kind of like has light bulbs in people's minds and they kind of get it in a way that they hadn't got before. So I just believe this is going to work. So I'm just going to make better production value, blah, 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 all this stuff. And I was just like, we're going to make this work. I'm going to, I'm going to push this thing to the end, you know? So, you know, when we look at, I, I think that for uh, whether it's having ADHD or just whatever, just being a human being, right? Yeah. The, we can only get better at and only change the things that we are fully aware of. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to have that, that self-awareness. Yeah. And there really is no other way to, to really, improve that self-awareness than uh, seeking feedback. So yeah. what what I'd like to do is I want to talk uh, a little more specifically about ways that we can get feedback and, and areas that we can seek feedback around. But what I want to do first is take a quick break. And then when right. we come back, we'll dive into ways of getting feedback. We will be right back. I joined this group because I knew that after 10 years of 
you know, awareness of my ADHD that medication wasn't going to be enough and I was missing something. And I began to look for more information and discovered Eric's podcast and became an instant fan because you're one of us, Eric. And that was a big deal to me. You resonated to me because it was an honest place and you understood the battles that we go through every day. Joining a community was a logical next step in my self-discovery journey. The beauty of a group of like-minded people, or in our case, like-brained people, is that you instantly move from an acquaintance to a family. You gain this instant level of brothers and sisters. So not only did I learn tips and tricks to tackle everyday challenges, but I had this group of people who are cheering me on and I really believe that because of this group teaches you that you're already amazing and smart and capable you just need a few extra tools to get there early registration for our spring sessions begins January 16th with the new year just around the corner there's never been a better time to look ahead and commit to investing in yourself and your growth Registration is by appointment, and you can reserve your registration interview time today by going to coachingrewired.com. That's coachingrewired.com. We are back with Aaron Anastasi, and uh, let's dive into feedback. Uh, One of my actual favorite topics, because it connects to self-awareness. Yeah, I to me when I think of feedback, there are so many different ways to get feedback. But one of the primary and easiest ways is to straight up ask for it. So, like with with my books, both my first book um, and and your prosperous mind, the new one is I'll write the book, and when I'm done, I'll send it out to a ton of beta readers, and I'm wanting specific feedback. I even have a list of like here are the here's a list of things I want you to give me feedback on. What, what kind of things are on that list? I'm curious. Yeah, I, I actually, I can't remember who I borrowed these first couple from, but I thought they were, they were brilliant. It's a, I can't even remember. So if he's listening, Hey, thanks. Um, <laughs> well, the first one is um, when did you get bored and go on Facebook? Love that one because it's just so specific and it's kind of funny. Um, but I'll ask other stuff like what, what sections, what section did you hate? What section did you love? What did any quotes stand out to you? And, oh, and this is another one actually that this dude had. It's when did you roll your eyes? I love that one. Because what, what happened is a lot of people gave me like, oh, this is kind of an eye roll moment. And I read it, I was like, no, you're totally right. And so what that, anyway, so I don't, I don't want to go on a tangent on that. But one way is just straight up specifically ask for feedback. So in, I think it was in your, uh, the 11th chapter of your, your book, I was, uh, I was listening to the unedited cut of that. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And so I wanted to share with you that when you were talking about that part, I had just recently gotten up from my seat and I was like, like putting some stuff away in my office. And then I just felt like I got totally called out because before I was like taking notes while I was listening uh-huh. and I was like, oh crap. In that moment I was doing that thing. So I thought I would tell you that. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I, I love that. I mean, my whole point for my books is always impact and transformation. You know, if, if all other things happen, that's great. But that, you know, so that's a little, a little nugget of what could happen. So you said in your book that um, to seek feedback around actions, attitudes, and 
products. Now, when I heard that, I was like, that seems like a maybe it's just for entrepreneurs, that piece of it. Is that what you meant by products or could we look at that in a broader way? Well, slightly broader. Like, for example, I just I just filmed, I just did a short film and it, it's something that I helped produce and that I was acting in. And I sent it out to a bunch of people for feedback. And so th- this product is this film. Okay. So it could be anything that you're doing. So the result of something. Exactly. The result of your work, whatever you're creating could be a, it could really be anything. But I was just trying to encapsulate like, it was just my definition. It's probably an imperfect definition, but like I was thinking feedback, like my thought of feedback is others' opinions of our actions, attitudes, or products that kind of covers the gamut. So what, you know, like my wife, I ask her for feedback all the time. You want some good feedback, get married. And I I love it. I don't always love it in the moment, but I always love it because I want to know where I could shift that I can get better. Speak about that. You, You love it, but you don't always love it in the moment. Say more about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, I <laughs> trying to think what happened. Oh, like I just uh, so that film in, you know, it's like a two minute little short film. And I was reading some of the comments on on YouTube from it. And somebody was like, and this is kind of a bad example because it's kind of vague feedback. But he was like, hey, it's, it's, it's really strong acting. Good job. Needs it needs a little bit of work, but I'm excited to see what you what you do in the future. Like my yeah. acting. So he just needs a little work. Did he specify like where, exactly. what? So even like, as I'm saying this, I'm like, that is very vague and, <laughs> and, and poor feedback. But it, but it was also like, it's painful in the moment, but I, I don't disagree. Like my, my goal for acting isn't to be perfect now. It's to pursue mastery of acting until the day I die. And mm-hmm. so to me, it's a, it was a good reminder that no, it, it, I will probably never do a perfect performance. What does that even mean? It's so subjective, but I, I'm in the pursuit of mastery, not, Hey, this is always great. Everything I do. So it was a good reminder to set me back in reality of what I'm going after. Of course, I want everybody to be like, you're brilliant. And this is perfect. But it was like, yep, no, you, you saw a little something somewhere and, and good for you. And, and that's why I train 25 to 30 hours a week still today as an actor. Cause I'm, that's my pursuit. What kind of stuff are you producing? I'm mostly short films. I did a, I did a web series for a long time, some kind of high production value web series uh, most recently was that short film. And I, you know, I, even as you say that I'm, I've done a bunch of that over the course of the last five years or whatever, but I'm, I'm toying with the idea of producing a feature length film this year. And I'm actually going to Sundance, not my film, but I'm going to Sundance in January and just kind of want to come check that out. And I love movies and all that, but I'm thinking about doing a feature and just walking that through the whole festival circuit. Cause people just take feature films more serious than short films. Are there, um, are there any pieces that people might know that you've been in commercials or anything? Uh, yeah. I mean, I did like an LG commercial. I did a, a Philip 66 gas station commercial. I did, you know, uh, what did I do recently? I did, I was on like a Disney show. It was like a YouTube red Disney show. I was playing a DJ. Um, so, you know, some smaller stuff right now, but there are bigger things to come. I've got some irons in the fire that if, if they pop, it'll be, you won't, you won't, you won't ask me that. You know what I'm saying? Like you won't even have to ask me that. You'll be like, I saw you on such and such, but you know, we'll see. It'll all come in time. How do you, so you, you wrote in your book that, that, uh, and I, I very much agree with you that mastery is a lifelong pursuit. So how do you determine what are the areas uh, in your life that are worthwhile pursuing mastery in? Yeah. 
part of it is feedback, a big part of it. So I, I want to get clear about what's important to me. And I, and it really comes down to, so I have like an overarching thing of, of what I want to do in the world. And that's to help people live fuller, freer lives and to inspire them to live fuller, freer. Like I, I want to inspire people to live fuller, freer lives. And part of that is me pursuing my dreams and pushing through the boundaries of fear constantly so that I can become an inspiration to others. But also that's like teaching them how to sing, you know, coaching them with their life. So that all kind of encompasses that. But so for me, I, I realized I through feedback, the feedback of seeing the results of my clients' lives and the results of my book and the impact that this is an area of the coaching book, whatever thing, that's an area that I, I'm going to continue to find master over forever for me. And then the other one is the, the scariest thing to me is acting like the scariest. Usually, I guess fear is a good, a good indicator for me of like, what am I most afraid of? I'm most afraid of putting a full pursuit into acting because it terrifies me. I have so many limiting voices surrounding it. So those are two of the main areas that I'm pursuing mastery. So how do you move forward with courage? You know, that idea that, you know, being afraid and doing it at exactly the same time is yeah. that definition of courage. So how, how do you do that? I, I work with my clients a lot about this stuff. I, Part of it is understanding that my, or believing, I believe that my biggest area of growth and biggest area of impact in the world is moving into that fear. So part of it is just an understanding of that. If I want to inspire people, um, I know that this is that, and I have a huge desire to inspire people. So part of it is just the philosophy helps me move into it. After that, it is, it's about setting up structures of accountability. So for me, with the acting, I have an acting class that I go to every Friday for four hours and we rehearse, you know, Tuesday, really Tuesday through Thursday. And then I do like a three or four hour thing on Monday. So I have like set in these people expect me to be there and I expect myself and they expect me to be at a certain level on Friday um, with this scene of understanding the scene and a certain level of, of being able to do it. So once I set up, I've been in this, you know, I've been in acting classes for whatever, five or six years, but I've been in this particular class for a year and a half. And it's a very highly competitive class. And a lot of people that are on TV are my teachers and in classes. And so that's the, probably one of the biggest things is structures of accountability. How long have you been interested in acting? I acted a lot as a kid, did a lot of like theater stuff as a kid. And then I, I gave that up. And that's when I leaned into music and I, I just did music for years and years and years and years. And there was always this nagging thing in the back of my head to be an actor. I, I, I avoided acting for about a decade or two. I mean, literally avoided it, knew it was like the thing, but I avoided it. And so it was interesting. I, I tell people that the music, even though it's an artistic pursuit and I love it, it was the hiding place for me for the one thing that really meant the most to me. And that is acting. And filmmaking, but I mostly film make so that I can put myself in it and have opportunities to act. <laughs> <laughs> Self-serving. Um, right. You know, when you, when you were saying that, the idea of it was nagging at you, um, what the, the thought that immediately popped into my mind is music for me. You know, that's, mm. that's one of those things that, you know, there was a, a period of time in my life where, where I considered myself a musician. Yeah. Like me, I, I, I gigged, I made a little bit of money playing music, you know, it's, I loved it. It was like, my brain just feels like it's firing on all cylinders um, when I'm, when I'm playing music. And because I do really well at very few things, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm working, I have my business, I 
do that pretty well. I probably, um, the thing I could do better is probably to, to be working less so I can spend more time with my family. So then there's that guilty feeling of, yeah. of, you know, how, you know, it's like, I can't go out and play music because I should be with my family more, you know? So it's mm-hmm. all of those kind of uh, beliefs, but that, that is, it's that nagging feeling of, mm-hmm. I want to be playing music. Yeah. Yeah. What, what would it be for you if you were to incorporate that in your life, like 30 minutes or an hour a week, what would that look like? You know, and it's interesting because I was before, um, you know, I moved, uh, in June and, uh, I was, there was this really great, uh, uh, app, um, that teaches you how to play guitar. Mm. Piano's on my main instrument, but I really wanted to go beyond the like six chords I knew on guitar for the last Mm -hmm. 10 years and just, you know, and I was doing it really diligently. And then the move just like it derailed me from that. And, uh, and so I'm like, oh, I'm going to need to start all over. I need to create more space for it and uh, um, maybe have some kind of accountability. Um, Like when I first came out to, when I moved to Glenview, I went out to an open mic, which is something I hadn't done in years and I felt so good, but I haven't been back. Um, Part of it was their their PA was kind of, eh, and the piano was the keyboard they had was kind of, eh. so it it didn't give me that, like that, like on cloud nine kind of feeling that you can often get from, from playing music. But yeah, you know, maybe it's just pursuing other musicians and then having that social connection to, uh, uh, to play. Cause that, man, it's, that is something that just, uh, it it feeds my soul so much. Yeah, man. It may, it may behoove you to just, how, how can I do this at least once a week for 30 minutes or an hour? And some accountability structures, because once you start doing that, I, I find, and who, who knows, for you, that could just be enough and that can be great. But I find that when I start doing something on a consistent basis, it like grows and grows yeah. and grows yeah. slowly and it starts taking over other areas. And then I can stop doing the things that don't matter quite as much. And hey, maybe I'm making a little bit of money doing that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But just allowing it in it gives it the opportunity to grow. But at, Worst case scenario is that you get to feel alive 30 minutes a week. Best case scenario is like, who even knows, right? right? Sky's the limit. Anyway. So let's talk a little bit about spreading ourselves thin. Now you got, you got a lot going on. You're, you're writing books, you're, you're coaching, Uh you're acting. Um, You just bought a home, um, right? Congratulations on, on that. Thank you. How do you know for, for you, like when you're spreading yourself thin? Yeah. Well, how, how I know when I'm spreading myself too thin is, is generally well, when I'm stressed out, obviously. But for me, I, I, I've created my lifestyle how I want it. So right, right now, I don't work nights and I don't work weekends. And so if I'm working any nights and I'm working any weekends, that's something to where I know, hey, I've got, I've got too much going on. I, I'm a big believer in, in just like being an essentialist. So for me, the priority, my priorities are super clear. Like my wife takes first priority over everything, no matter what, because staying married and being, having a great relationship is that's the only thing that really, really matters. Everything else is just a fun game to me. So it's really that. And then, um, acting, acting and coaching are, are pretty even after that. And everything else, I, I say no a lot, a lot, because I just want to do the things that I love to do and that I'm good at and that are going to have the biggest impact. All the other stuff, it just doesn't matter. Mm. Um, when I think that sometimes people hear, well, that's, that might be nice for, for you to be able to do that, but uh, sure. you know, I can't do that. What, what do you say mm-hmm. to, to that? Well, I, I, first of all, I would say, 
Uh, I don't believe you. Um, I would say, I would say, have you tried it? Have, like I, one of my clients, I used to, used to have this thing, we would call it um, uh, quit something Thursday. So like every Thursday, I'd be like, what are you going to give up? What are you going to give up? Mm, what are you going to give up? I like that. We find, everything we have in our life feels essential. But once we start, once we shuck it down to, okay, what if I could get rid of anything? And of course I can't, but if I could, what would maybe be the one thing? And then what that one thing is, I say, let's just not do that for a week or two and, and just see what happens. And, and things drop off and, and you realize they're just, they're not as essential as, as you thought. And it leaves more room for the things that matter most to you. And then you become more alive. And it's like the cycle of, of living into that one thing or two things or three at most that, that really serve you. So to answer your question about me, I, I do a lot of batching. So as far as like the websites go, I mean, they're just buzzing. They've been buzzing for years. Like I went into the YouTube space because the, there's a YouTube space in LA and I, I film my videos there because it's all like free and they have crazy good equipment and stuff because I have a you know big channel or whatever. So I will go in there and I will film 10 videos. I'll spend the day doing it and then I'll come home and I'll give it to my assistant and she'll disseminate those videos over the course of the next several months. And I literally won't even think about the website for three or four months. And I, in a day, I got everything I needed for that. And then, you know, so it's kind of like that. The constants are acting. The constants are spending time with my wife and having date night. There are a few constants, but everything's like, okay, I'm going to carve out these days, do it, batch, and just have it, have it that run on its own. My assistants or my business partners can kind of run the rest. Now, you had, uh, and, and I'm a big believer in the power of saying no. And uh, yeah. um, it's probably from everything that I have done over, over the last, uh, you know, handful of years, saying no has probably been the most difficult uh-huh. and the thing that has brought the most results, uh, for me. Um, and I, and it's been incredible and it's, it's hard to say no, but it gets yeah. easier and trying to connect this. Um, you said in your book that, you know, when you look at, at feedback as a form of learning and, um, that, but it requires this willingness to sort of take a blow to your self-esteem or to your, to your ego. Do you think that the same thing could be said about the willingness to say no and to let something go? Yes. Yes. And here's why part of it goes back to the story we're telling ourselves, right? Always. So, so when we say, uh, let's say buddy of mine, he he just, he hit me up and he's a magician and he, he goes to the magic castle um, we're here in town. It's like a big thing here in town or whatever. But, and he asked me tonight, do you want to go to, to the magic castle? So, so for me, what I immediately start thinking is if I don't say yes, then I'll lose friends and he won't like me and, and I'll stop being social. And then I won't be, it's like my mind starts spinning out of control. So part of it is getting locked into what reality is, right? Reality is this guy loves me. I could say yes or no. Like we're great friends. It's totally fine. And I am going to say no, cause I've got something else going on, but it is like a muscle that's built over time. And, and you do take a blow every time because you're bracing a little bit for the thing that you think is going to happen. He's not going to like me. He's going to be mad. He's going to be these things. And when you realize, Oh, he's actually totally fine. Or, you know, maybe some people freak out and then you're like, I don't want to spend time with those kind of people anyway, but it over time, it becomes easier and easier to, to say no, because you have different stories running in your mind. If I believe this, I could do no wrong for this guy. And that is true for this guy then I'll hang out when I want. I invited him to the movies last night. You know what? You get the idea. Mm. Let's talk about, uh, about tension. You, you talk about tension in your book. Yeah. When we're living in fantasy, there's often a tension. And, 
and I, I want to make a distinction here between two types of tension. Mm-hmm. The tension, remember, I was talking about the tension of me, of, you know, we have a vision of where we want to be, mastery of acting, and I, I want to be a series regular on HBO, and I've got a bunch of, you know, things that I want, and where I am, there's always a tension between current reality and where our vision is. And that's great, and that's challenging, and it's, you know, it's painful and all that stuff as we're working toward that vision. That tension is perfect. Pressing into fear and having that tension, all that's great. But, but, usually, but there's another type of tension that when we just feel a little bit off and like something's wrong in a certain area of our lives, then there's, we're probably living outside of reality in that particular area. So where do I feel like that in my life? So we just bought this house and I feel like this, this tension in my chest of like, oh, we're not going to be able to make it work. We're not going to be able to to, to afford our mortgage. We're going to get upside down. It's just like all of these crazy fears of what's going on. And so that's a tension that is unnecessary because when I explore what's really going on for me and what's really true and, you know, with our savings and with our ability and with, you know, unlimited possibility, when I think of what is actually true, that could go away. So that's where kind of the tension is, is, can be really helpful. And so what do you do with that information then? Yeah, man. I, 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 I get clear on what's true. I mean, what we were talking about at first, I, I interrogate thoughts all the time. I, I spend about an hour meditating, kind of meditating prayer, journaling time mm. in the morning. I, I literally go inside my closet and shut the door and, and I'm in that space for about an hour. And, and I interrogate those thoughts. Is your closet like furnished? Is it? <laughs> it's, it it's like a small walk-in closet, but what I do is I have a fold-up chair that just slides right into this one area and I just pull it out and put it down and I just sit there in my, in my little chair. And then I've got this little cubby that has my journal with a pen right there. What about a closet? Like creates that to be a good space for you? Uh, I don't know. I've always loved that. I've always loved small spaces where I feel like enclosed is for, for, for meditation. Like if mm. I'm in my office or a bigger room, there's just, you know, more to be distracted by. There's more to be ADD from. So when I'm in that small space, it's just, it's all about just being tight. They're like in my new house, there's a couple of closets that I'm excited. I'm like, okay, cool. That'll be my meditation. <laughs> oh man. I mean, I've, I've heard of many podcasters who record from their, their walk-in closet because mm. it has all this, you know, the, all the clothing. Yeah. So it gives you good sound absorption. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, that's, that's really funny. Um, when, when your wife realized that you go to your closet to meditate, uh, what, <laughs> what did she say to you? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good question. I've been doing it for so long that now I'm trying to think like what at first, I think she thought it was weird at first. Right. I mean, it is kind of weird. Uh, but now it's, uh, now she, she respects it, you know, because who I am when I walk into that closet and the, no pun intended of like a gay, a gay thing, but who I am when I walk into that closet and who I am when I walk out, it really is a different person. I walk in with all my anxieties and all my fears and all my, uh, and I walk out peace, clarity. I know where I'm going and what I'm doing. And, and it's just, you know, if you live with somebody, you want that person of that, that version of that somebody. So it's the, that freedom and lightness that comes with coming out of the closet. Exactly. (laughs) we must be near the hour mark here Um, so what else are you excited about as far as the release of this book are you gonna do the whole speaking tour or maybe just a podcast tour (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I'll, I'll do I'll do podcasts. I, I'm doing a, a lot like a pre-launch party, which will have already happened when this <laughs> airs. But on on the 11th, I'm doing a big pre-launch party. You know, maybe 100 people or whatever. But and it'll it, that'll be fun to to be able to se- stop and celebrate this. You know, it's such a process to do this book. So to be able to stop and celebrate something in a moment, I actually realized this past week I posted something on my thing that I realized that celebration is a lost art and that choosing mm. not to celebrate is actually a form of ingratitude. It's not mm. stopping long enough to appreciate what's going on. So I see this as, as a discipline, like celebration as a discipline in a good way of, of gratitude and, and, you know, thanking the people that are coming, coming to, you know, support me with this. And I'm just really looking forward to that event. Cause it's like, yes, we're, we're doing this and it's done. And, and it's a big accomplishment. You know, I could easily just be like, boom, 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 onto the next thing. Like easily. I'm, I'm so like driven in that way, but I know I want to stop. I appreciate this. And you have a lot of really good ideas. Who are uh, some of your, your uh, the thought leaders that you follow and that you learn from? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'm like a total book nerd. I read two, three, sometimes four books a, a month. So I, there are so many, but let me just think of a couple offhand. I, I like a guy named Rich Litvin and Steve Chandler. Those are, those are two coaches that I really admire. Um, thought leaders, most of my thought leaders, I would say, are the people that I really, truly respect are, you know, people of old, like uh, Stoics and, and, and philosophers. I, I, I like a lot of their ideas because their ideas are so timeless that I, I could take that and apply it to today and, and it just always works. So Do you have a favorite uh, philosopher? Yeah. Yeah. I would say it's, gosh, do I Seneca, um, Seneca Erasmus. Yeah. Erasmus maybe, or, you know, even like the, the, the early church fathers, I, I get a lot out of them too. Like the Karl Barts and the, oh, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther, a lot, a lot of those guys too. I get a ton out of them. Is there something from uh, any of them that you can, that you draw upon uh, as sort of a guiding principle that you would say probably has maybe influenced sort of your way of being in the world more than mm. anything else? Um, this is not going to answer your question directly, but it's coming to mind because of, of all we talked of because of the meditation thing. Um, Pablo Picasso says without Without significant alone time, nothing significant can be created. And it just goes back to that time of meditation of allowing that, allowing that wisdom and those ideas and what is truly, truly important to kind of bubble up and emerge in that time, writing that down. Because before I get out of there, I always write down, what are the three things that are going to make this day great? Just three things, no more. Mm. And write those down and make sure that those are the things that I tackle first. So that's that's changed a lot about how I just function in my life. Can you repeat that, that quote, the without alone time? Yes. In fact, I'm going to look on my phone so I can do it even. Okay. Without great solitude, no serious work is possible. Pablo Picasso. This episode will be coming out. I think it's, uh, what did I say? December, I think, uh, 19th. Um, so we're right around the new years. And I think that that idea is a very valuable one as we're coming towards, uh, you know, finishing up 2017, coming into 2018. 
take some time, some real significant, cherished and, and celebrated time to reflect on 2017 and, you know, create your vision for 2018 and do it in solitude and do it in a, in a place that you don't normally go to. There's a, uh, um, uh, for, forgetting the name of the book, but it's, uh, it's one of a uh, book written by Michael Hyatt, where he talks about his sort of ritual, his annual ritual of going to a, a nice hotel where he works there for the day on his, you know, 2018 or his next year's goals. Um, and then celebrates by having a nice dinner with his wife. And I love that idea. Um, so I just think it's a really nice, uh, sort of way to bring all of this like, uh, together is really, uh, be clear as to what it is. What are those three things, whether it's today, this week, uh, or, or in 2018 that are going to, uh, really make your life more prosperous. See how, see how I tie that all together. Well, yeah, wrapped well, it up in a nice bow. <laughs> there you go, Aaron. <laughs> your prosperous mind by Aaron Anastasi. <laughs> is your uh, your audiobook is it read in in that voice? Do you do you talk like this when you're? <laughs> <laughs> I talk very very casual. My audiobook, and and I know you were asking about it actually last time. It, I'm hoping it comes out the day that the book comes out. It'll certainly be ready by the 19th. So we don't have to worry about that, but it might be a few days delayed, which I'm like, come on. Well, uh, if, if you're like me and you uh, are going to wait for the audiobook, um, if you have never, ever gone to audible and gotten your free download, I know I don't really mention it. I think I still actually have it recorded on the outro of my podcast. that I haven't even listened to for, I can't tell you how long, um, but it's the same one. You can get a free trial and uh, get a free download at audibletrial.com slash ADHD rewired. And I know people still use it because I made a whole $30 last month on my Audible affiliation. Yes. Yes. That's like maybe a dinner with my wife and me without drinks. Um, so thanks guys for your support. Aaron, where can people learn more about you? Uh, what's the best place for them to get your book? Um, any final, final thoughts? Yeah, contact. I do a lot of content on my Instagram and Facebook. It's just at Aaron Anastasi. I do a lot of constant free content without like infographics and videos and stuff like that. So certainly there. I've got my new website up, which is Aaron Anastasi Official. And I've got like tons of like my acting videos and I've got the coaching video stuff. I've got, you know, it's just a smorgasbord there. And yeah, I, you know, I'll have your prosperousmind.com up and that's, 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 that's me. Awesome. Well, we'll put links to all of that in the show notes. If this uh, did come out on December 19th, um, then the, uh, the link uh, ADHDrewired.com slash 197. Um, that's the thing that I'm like, I've always struggled with having that, knowing what that link is going to be, knowing when the episode will come out ahead of time. Um, <laughs> yeah. So if it's that's accurate. I'm, I'm feeling kind of proud of myself. And if it's not, sorry guys. Um, so Aaron, thank you so much for coming on again. This is really a pleasure. Uh, when you write your next book, um, I do hope that you'll come back on and we'll, we'll get to do this again. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks for having me on. This is, this has been great. My pleasure. Take care. This is Eric Tivers. Thank you for listening and congratulations for making it to the end. ADHD Rewired is more than just a podcast. We are a community focused on learning, 
growing, and connection. The website is ADHDrewired.com. You can find summaries and additional resources for each episode. Learn more about the ADHD Rewired Coaching and Accountability Group and sign up for my email newsletter to get exclusive content that you won't get anywhere else. It's all at ADHDrewired.com. Support ADHD Rewired and help replenish our coaching group scholarship fund by becoming a monthly patron at patreon.com slash ADHD Rewired. Different levels of support get different perks. You can give just a buck or three or five bucks a month or more. Every little bit helps. And it's an awesome way for you to let me know that you value this show the community, and everything else we do. That's patreon.com slash ADHD Rewired. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Tivers. Subscribe to ADHD Rewired on YouTube to see select interviews and other videos I've made. The ADHD Rewired community is now a secret group on Facebook, so that's one less reason to not just be a passive listener, but to be an active member of our community. Fill out our short screening form at our website, ADHDrewired.com. We screen everyone before they join. Podcasts change lives. You can make a difference in someone's life by spreading the word about this podcast. Mention it in your online communities or on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, Quora, or wherever you hang out online. And be sure to share it with your friends, your family, your clients, as well as your coaches, therapists, and doctors. If you're a member of Chad or any other ADHD support group, be sure to tell them about this podcast. You can even show them how to download it on their phone or even do it for them. And if you really love this episode, please hit share on your podcast player. I'm only one person and I count on you to help me spread the message. One of the biggest things you really can do to support this podcast and to help other people discover it is to leave an honest rating and review on the Apple Podcast app or on Stitcher or any other podcast app that supports and accepts ratings and reviews. Looking for more ways to listen and learn? Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at Audible by going to audibletrial.com slash ADHD Rewired. Need some ideas on where to start other than Brene Brown's Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, Rising Strong, or her six-hour recorded workshop, The Power of Vulnerability? Then I would recommend The One Thing by Gary Keeler. Oh, and if you by any chance know Brene Brown, please let her know how grateful I am for all of her work and what she means to me and the ADHD community, and that she's welcome on my show anytime. And in the one in like 7 billion chance that Brene, you're listening, please come and be a guest. Thanks. This is Eric Tivers reminding you, keep learning, keep growing, and keep connecting. And no matter how hard it all feels, Remember, we can do hard things. Until next time.